So years ago, um, when I was really newly ordained, I was made the pastor of McCall. And there was really not a lot of work to do there. Um, but really, I skied four days a week. But um, among the local clergy who we got along, um, we decided that uh, during the lunch hour, we'd have this non-denominational Bible study. But because we're not doing like one book or something, just pick a Bible theme, something on Scripture, and talk about it for one hour. Okay, that seemed like a good idea. Didn't turn out so well. Um, And so like you just thought of your own. So the night before, um, I hadn't thought of anything, and I'm just watching TV, and John Stossel... You know who John, he's a reporter? No, okay. Um, really, you people don't watch movies or TV? I don't, how are you going to get to heaven? Um, he had this program called Bad Science that was really interesting. That you think something is a scientific truth because your culture tells you it is, but turns out it's not. Like, if your example would be, and this is not, was not part of his program, um, people think that a bigger rock falls faster. Uh, No, gravity is gravity. Um, Everything falls at the same rate. Uh, Anyhow. Um, So we did all these things that currently in our culture, what do we think is the scientific truth and the scientists saying, no, that's not true at all. So I was watching and I was like, wow, that's a great idea. That's what I'm going to do tomorrow for the scripture class. Except he called it bad science. I call it bad scripture. So I took six most common misinterpreted mistranslated parts of Scripture. And one of the ones I started off with was um, wives be submissive to your husbands, which, let me just stop. If that's how your marriage works, because I did notice when the reader said that, I could see some people nudge and like, no, like Terry, I know Terry. She, she believes submissiveness. And I loved how you reached out and grabbed your wife's hand. <laughs> I was like, what's going on there? Um, So, just so in this class, I explained what, and it'll take me too long to go through all the Greek, so I'm going to edit it down, I hope. Um, But in Greek, that's not what Paul said. And you have to first understand what, number one, the word submissive in Greek does not mean what it means in English. In English, submissive means to be subservient. You know, get my coffee, you get my coffee. Um, It's a doormat. But in Greek, that word has a specific meaning. It's a military vow. That's really important. That's a vow, if you enter the military, that you would take. So if I was your general, and I said to you, you take the hill, you took a vow that uh, obeying orders are more important than your safety. So the vow of submissiveness, you take the hill. It doesn't matter if it costs you an eye or an arm or uh, whatever. You take the hill. Does that make sense? Clearly, once again, only to this side. I, um, you take, that's a vow of submissiveness. So it actually is a military fighting term that you're not going to give up. And why that's important is that, um, well, second part. Um, In the Greek, what Paul says is, yes, he does say, wives, be submissive to your husbands. But then he turns around and says, husbands, be submissive to your wives. But did you notice the word changes in English? 
to husbands, love your wives. I just, I, I don't know why that's mistranslated. I can't figure that part out. Um, but technically, if you really obey Paul's words, first he starts out that if you're baptized, then we're submissive to each other and to Christ. Uh, secondly, hu- wives, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, be submissive to your wives. And what Paul is doing is fighting this um, well, mochismoism of his century. The Greeks and the Romans, um, they didn't treat their women well. Um, like, in that society, men and women were not allowed to eat together. Women had to eat after men so they know their place. Um, what Paul is, well, what Christ did in marriage, Christ revolutionized marriage that men and women should be treated as equals. So Paul is pushing it further. And he says, you know, for the sake of love, do whatever you have to. Take a vow of submissiveness. Kill whatever part of your ego you need to kill for the sake of love. It's worth it. That's what he's saying. It's a fighting term. He's not advocating that one person be a doormat. He's advocating that all of us, um, we actually kill our egos for the sake of love. And especially married people, you're constantly challenged to die to your ego. For the sake of love, it's worth it. So that's just a brief overview. But to me, I love it. And I love when Paul says, this is a great mystery. It is. To die to your own ego for the sake of love. And so I go over this. Unfortunately, it didn't go over well at all. Um, And one minister objected. Then after the class, he came to me. Now, he's a nice guy. I liked him. But he didn't even have a college education. He had no seminary training. He just, like, felt this calling and started this box church. Um, And so afterwards, he's really hot under the collar, and he wants to argue. And unfortunately, his argument was, you can't say that. Well, first of all, I did say it. Second of all, he'd say, you can't say that because I preach the opposite to my wife and my congregation. So I remember I said, I'm not responsible for the misinformation that you're spreading. You know, if you want to argue the Greek with me, please, let's go at it. But if you're saying that I can't say that because it works to your advantage for your wife to be submissive, um, don't say that you're basing it on the Bible. You're basing it on your own ego. You're doing the very opposite what Paul commanded. Does that make sense? So, did not go over well. Um, but here's the thing, like, and this is my real point. How dare you say that you follow Christ or the Bible when really you just misinterpret things to support your ego, not to die to it? That's not being challenged. And if anything, we're here to be challenged by Christ and to make a vow to Christ to follow. That's actually just following your own ego. You know, you have to make a choice. Are you going to follow Christ or not follow Christ? And so, like, that's the second reading. The first reading I love, it's from Joshua, where Joshua, before they enter the promised land, Joshua gives a speech, and he says, oh, before we step into the promised land, decide now. Decide now, will you serve God, choose God, or not choose God? Choose God or choose some other idol of your own making. 
He said, for me and my household, we will serve God. And like, I like that every Sunday, if you think about it. It's this choice. Will you serve God or serve your own ego? And in the Eucharist, in the very Eucharist, early Christians believe you're making this vow on your very life to follow Christ. So the gospel reading is part of Jesus' bread of life. It's really, really long. Um, in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks the most about love and the Eucharist. And just a little background, if you forget the last couple weeks, um, Jesus, they're waiting for the bread of life. And they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they say, do the sign. Make the bread of life appear. And Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. And after that, the chapter is, they keep arguing back and forth. And this is the last of the arguments. So 12 times, Jesus says that he's the bread from heaven. More than that, he says he's the bread of life. And four times, they object to what he's saying. And each time they inject, he doesn't back off and say, well, you know, I was just speaking symbolically. He doubles down, and he turns up the flame. And it, the language gets more and more severe, where he says, I tell you, I am the bread of life. Amen, amen, I tell you, I am the bread of life. You must eat my flesh or drink my blood and drink my blood, or you have no life within you. Um, and he keeps repeating this. And then, like in the Greek, it's more where he ups it. He uses the word trago. You know, you must gnaw on my flesh. He makes it more carnal. Like, I tell you, you must do this. And they keep objecting. And this is the last time where they say, this is hard. We can't, in the Greek it says, we can't stomach this. And he loses half his disciples. And he's not backing down. He loses half his disciples. And when they say, well, who can follow this? Jesus does say, yes, it takes faith. And then he, when he loses half his disciples, he turns to Peter and he says, and you, will you abandon me? And Peter says, um, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where can we go? Um, when he says, Lord, you have the words of eternal life, that's Genesis language. The same way God speaks and life is created, Christ can speak and bread and wine become his body and blood. Um, so, yeah, Christ can do that. Um, so, at that point, Peter and the disciples, they're choosing to believe. My problem is that you find these modern Christians who say, well, when Jesus said, keep saying, I'm the bread of life, what he meant is his words are the bread of life. And they over-symbolize it. Jesus didn't say my words are the bread of life. He keeps repeating, I am the bread of life. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Um, he's not spiritualizing it. He's making it a command. And it just seems to me that what they're doing is the same thing the bad scripture class the pastor did, that I don't like that interpretation. It doesn't work for me, so I'm reinterpreting it. But think about this. Every time we go to the Eucharist and we feed on the life of Christ, then we're morally obligated to love like Christ without any ego or selfishness. It is a promise of self-sacrificing love. Um, and don't look for, like, loopholes, saying, well, I will... I'll." love other people as long as they're submissive to me. Um, you know, love is love. We love like Christ. And if we feed on the bread of life, the very life of Christ, 
then it's a love without any ego. If St. Pius is going to become this, you know, a parish where we love each other, St. Paul is right. You have to die to your ego. Um, you have to be willing to be challenged. Then you can make a commitment. There's no commitment if you're not challenged. Like, just on that military vow, I want to go back to that for a sec. Um, there's this video that was really popular on the internet. It was this um, uh, admiral speaking at some sort of commencement, and it's titled something like, uh, you have to make your bed. Did anybody, oh, okay, you saw that? Those two, oh, three people. Maybe four people. Honest to God, it's a, oh, five, six, okay, come on, stop lying. Um, it's this great video of this admiral. Anybody else see it? It's so good. But then later, because I loved it, they did this uh, business management interview with this admiral because people loved working for this admiral. He was really great. So this is about being challenged. So this admiral, they interview him, and then secretly, he didn't know this, they interviewed um, the officers he worked with. And he would do this thing where in a meeting, he'd gather people in a meeting, and he'd come up with some crazy, bat-crazy idea. And he'd say, what do you think about that? And some people would say, oh, that's a great idea, sir. And he would say, you can't work for me. Uh, no, that's a bad idea. If you're not going to push back, if you're not going to be honest, I can't work with you. And so, like, that's how he weeded people out, and he expected people to challenge him. And, like, one guy, and they loved him. One officer said, oh, yeah, yeah, we had to keep certain things in check because nobody's perfect except my mother. Um, so one guy, they said, well, what, what would be one thing that you would have to call him on? And he said, oh, the admiral loved to pick up strays. So what he meant by that is he'd find some person who was just a mess up, and he'd give him a third and fourth and fifth chance. But this is the military. The guy keeps messing up, and the admiral always thinks that um, he can reform somebody. And he laughed, and he says, yeah, yeah, I, I hang on a little too long. He says, my job was to really be honest with him and say, it's time to kick him to the curb. You're doing it again. <laughs> I love the fact that he had people challenge him. And in the Eucharist and the Gospel and the readings, we want God to challenge us. If we make a vow to God, but please, Christ, never challenge me to love deeper and harder, then it's a lie. When we go to communion today, let's be willing to let Christ challenge us to love exactly like Christ. That is what Paul is talking about with submissiveness. Then we truly honor the Eucharist.